Welcome to Feed That Nation. I'm your host, Natalie Nation. In today's episode, we will be continuing to explore our topic of promoting food literacy through on-campus agriculture. In the last episode, we focused specifically on community gardening as a tool for education and empowerment. In today's episode, we're going to continue the conversation about food literacy and talk about the impact that bees can have on a college campus and the educational experience, and the role that higher ed has to play in promoting food literacy in its students. Here today to have a conversation with me is St. Kate's Biology Lab Manager, Chris Palinuk, and St. Kate's Biology Senior Student, Marie Olson. So I'm sitting here with Chris and Marie. Chris and Marie, thank you so much for coming in today. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Chris, you can go first. Uh, certainly. Um, my name is uh, Chris Polinuk. I uh, work for the biology department here at St. Catherine University. Um, I'm their lab manager there. Um, I was also a faculty assistant there, so I've had the pleasure of teaching some classes, including one about bees. Hopefully we maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, but I also am mentor to BioClub um, and have some inter intersection with Food Justice Coalition. Um, so a lot of interest in what students are doing on campus um, and how I can help. Awesome. And Marie? Uh, my name is Marie Olson. I am a senior graduating in this spring. And I am the current BioClub co-president. This is my second year. And so obviously I've been involved with a lot of bio clubs projects like the bees and the pollinator commons and reaching out to other clubs like food justice yeah and that's more or less how we met i know we had a chemistry class together freshman year but i didn't really start to get to know you until our interests in gardening and bees sort of intersected in a really cool way yeah it's really nice to be able to do things with other clubs and get involved because everyone's so passionate about different things and overlapping the passions is where things get really wild and really exciting. Oh, that's so awesome. Couldn't agree more. Um, the intersections that BioClub's made with Chem Club and Food Justice, but these projects in particular, Bees Gardens, Pollinator Commons, I think they make sense for both clubs to be involved and show their equal passions, but in slightly different angle, right? Totally. So. Chris, you might be the better person to answer this question, but let's talk about the history of bees at St. Kate's. Where did all of that start? Sure. It started with BioClub, um, and that's really where student passions became reality on our campus. Um, and it started with an alum um, of BioClub who happened to be keeping bees, happened to have studied bees at the U after graduating from here, um, and happened also to be an artist. So what a great, you know, um, St. Kate's, uh, an homage to the St. Kate's education, right, and <laughs> doing all sorts of things. Um, and her name was Claire. And so BioClub um, and myself and BioClub became aware of her art. And so we thought, because BioClub likes to sort of publicize itself and raise money for the projects it has on the go, decided that maybe one of her um, artistic drawings would be great for a shirt. Um, and she, so we asked her and she said, Certainly, you can use one of my drawings, but why don't you get hives? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, BioClub said, yeah, why don't we, Chris? And I was like, I don't think we're going to be able to get hives. But one thing led to another, and BioClub worked very hard, got all of their sort of ducks in a row. Um, and that's really how, how we ended up with two beehives on the Fontbonne Green Roof. That's awesome. And what year did that happen? Um, that was three years ago. The hives have been in full operation for two summers so it was you know two and a bit 
yeah. um, years ago. Wait, I thought it was four years, because, or were the hives just being established my first year? Um, the, yeah, I mean, we've had, oh, we, you're, you're totally right. Because I remember my, yeah. how I got involved with biology club initially was yeah. I showed up freshman year and I was like, I want to get hives on campus. <laughs> how do I do this? <laughs> so, I want to see hives on campus. And so then I mentioned it and they were like, go talk to Chris. And I'm yeah. like. So you're totally right. I, I've missed a year. It's, they've been here three years. So the fourth, the fourth year is the one you're talking about where we were just getting going. Um, so, um, and then the gardens came like just on the heels of that. So these mm-hmm. projects have really just been in the last year, generate like your year, four year, gener- yeah, generation yeah. of students. And it's so cool as a student to see projects like the garden and the bees where they barely existed or didn't exist at all when I started as a student here. And now look at what they are and look at what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, you might be able to speak to this, Marie, but there isn't a time that you can be on campus in an official role that someone doesn't ask about our bees or about our gardens or about our projects. Do you think that's true? Yeah. I. Whenever we're doing any sort of tabling, there's just so much interest in the projects that we're doing, and it's so... It's it's weird because, you know, this is just something that, you know, our club was interested in. And it's great to have that involvement, but then sometimes it's like, come on, do more with us, please. Do more with us. But, yeah, it's so weird. Every so often I'll just be out of the blue because of my leadership role, be asked about things related to either the bees or some other project. And it's like, please come learn. But it's also just it shows up in the weirdest places. Like I'll be running a gel and then someone will be asking about the bees and I'll be like, excuse me. That's, that's happened to me a lot with my work with the gardens and the food shelf. I've had students approach me like in my residence hall or I'll be in a class and someone will be like, hey, you work with the garden, right? I had a question about that. And it's it's so interesting the ways it comes back. I mean, it makes it feel like it's growing. Um, but uh, Marie's right. We, you know, interest is one thing. Active participation is another. And I think with both the bees and the and the garden and um, the upcoming pollinator commons, we see waxes and wanes of students actually involved, you know, hands involved in it versus really great enthusiastic support. And I shouldn't just say students, really. I should say uh, faculty and staff as well. Mm -hmm. So you guys are both biologists. So I think some people would assume that you're really interested in the bees, but it's harder, I think, for some people who are really sciencey to see the connection between bees and food literacy. So I guess first I would ask you, how do you understand what food literacy is? Do you want to go or should I? I'll go first. I guess I don't have a full and well-developed understanding of food literacy, but I believe that it's it's about people understanding where their food comes from and the greater systems that come into play in understanding how people acquire their food and how the food is produced. And so there's a lot of it that goes into it and a lot of it that people don't really understand, especially with the way things are set up currently. And a lot of that leads to losses in education about important parts like pollinators and, you know, food transport and that kind of stuff. Totally. That's yeah, awesome. I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with Marie more. That was well said. Um, really, from my point of view, um, food is ecology. And um, so it is a biological issue of biology um, and yet it's been separated slightly from that. I, um, I think there's people in our department who would know quite a bit about um, soil, quite a bit about the way nutrients cycle 
Um, and so there is like some innate biological um, things at play. Um, but for, for us, um, really it's about pollination and protecting the things that allow us to have fruits and vegetables, right? So the garden, I think, plays perfectly into allowing somebody not only to see that food can grow right where you're standing, right outside your cafeteria, but that the bees um, that are on the roof just, just, just adjacent are visiting it and making sure those things happen, pollination, right? Um, and so adding a third component where we're going to do something specifically for the pollinators, we may not get very much food out of it, but it's not that it's set separate from food security. It's indeed protecting the very things that will give us food if we want to grow it, right? So it changes the ecology of campus. And so um, although not honing in directly biology, it's a, I think it's a biological issue. So I think the fact that we're involved is, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and let's talk about that big project, the Pollinator Commons. Where did the idea for that come? Um, wow, that's a great question. Um, I think um, Marie Bio Club um, really just wanted a small patch of Beelon. Isn't that where we started with that? Yeah, our initial goal was we had the hives established on campus, and we were thinking, like, we want a friendly space for these pollinators. And so what we initially wanted was just a small patch of lawn that we could plant with um, pollinator friendly species, not even like special flowers or plants, but just like instead of the green grass lawn, there's more friendly lawns with clover involved and other pollinating species that um, is more friendly and then is not sprayed with pesticides. Mm -hmm. And that's all we wanted was like just a little tiny patch. Yeah. Um, and so funny that we what we thought was we could put it right by Mendel because we're in Mendel and we could watch it, you know, <laughs> grow and, and see how it. Um, but there's lots of things going on on campus, as you know. Um, and one of the things I think that they're going to do or that I'm pretty sure that they're going to do is rip up the area where we thought it could go by Mendel. So that's going to be a completely different space in a couple of years. So we were at a loss. I mean, we could put it somewhere else, but where do we put it? Um, and then it turns out that um, they built a new parking lot and didn't know what to do with some of the land surrounding it. Um, and so we were offered a way bigger piece of unusable or, you know, uninterested uh, people that were, they were uninterested in um, this bigger chunk that um, really could be used in a way that they didn't know how they wanted to use it. So they said, can you use it? And so it grew out of that. So it grew from B-Lawn to Big B-Lawn to, well, let's do things for all pollinators and make it an educational space. So, um, well, And not just for the pollinators, for connecting people with the pollinators and making people aware of, you know, the wonderful ecology that's happening all around that people sometimes forget about because well, we're in the so. middle of the city. And so people don't always think about, oh, yeah, what about all of the animals and insects that are going around doing their own business when you don't think about them? Well so. said, Marie. Well said. I mean, and one of the things that you were really vying for was a uh, 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 bat friendly area there are no pollinating bats in Minnesota <laughs> but no not that we shouldn't pay attention to bats so um, indeed the, th the it has grown um, the project has grown out of students like Marie who expressed like extreme interest in let's do it do you want just like a general overview of what we're doing now? Because that's kind of the past of it, but it's evolved into its own. Yeah, beast. and in fact, yeah, Marie, you should. Thing. I say the word like pollinator commons, and people are like, okay, so 
it's for pollinators and it's a commons but I think beyond that there isn't as much of an understanding as like what the space will be and how it can be utilized so why don't you go into that a bit well so currently we have a beautiful constructed pathway that we we did with the community involvement um what was that uh I'm Katie. Citizen um, Katie. Citizen Katie. Katie yeah. yeah, we built a long stretch of path there, and ideally we we're going to continue it. But it's going to be a beautiful location for not only living and observing, but ideally an educational one as well. So there's going to be the path. It's going to be planted with the the lawn alternative as well as flowering species that are tailored to different pollinators in our community and ideally each of those sections will be then tailored to that pollinator and then accompanied with information on that type of pollinator so one section would be for hummingbirds i've actually seen a couple of hummingbirds on campus this year i was very pleased and so you know ideally there would be a section with plants that would provide food for the hummingbirds and then a sign so people could read it and be like, what are hummingbirds up to? What are these species? And so not only would it be a place for pollinators to congregate, ideally it will be a beautiful and wonderful space for people to congregate as well. And so bringing both of those aspects together because with all of those pretty plants and all of that, and hopefully it'll draw people into the space and make it more utilized than what maybe the initial idea for it was. Um, and um, to go back to something that sort of we've touched on a couple of times, um, what really is the point of a campus grounds for a university? Um, obviously, a part of it has to be f to provide the things that students need for the basics, but we could really change the way it's viewed by having a space that's not only educational, but provides beauty, like Marie was saying. So you end up getting to a place where someone, even from the community at large, could come and learn something they didn't learn. And once they have that information, wouldn't we love to see it grow, right? Wouldn't we love to see a pollinator patch across the street and a pollinator and these connected sort of mini ecosystems that would provide sort of good health for pollinators. And then if anyone has a garden or if there's a bigger food space certainly those pollinators will pollinate. And I love that you're creating an educational space where people can gather. And it's not only beautiful in the sense that it's aesthetically beautiful, but it's beautiful in that it's this piece of nature that animals and people can all enjoy and it's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. It's growing and it's flourishing and it's green and it's, it's, what it, it's exactly what it's supposed to be. And I love hearing that because that's what we've been trying to do with the community garden. We're trying to create a beautiful space where people can gather and people can learn and ultimately like supporting food security on campus through growing produce, but also educating people on, you know, if we have a healthy, beautiful space, what does this mean for the rest of campus? What, is it, what does this mean for the pollinators who come and pollinate our garden? What does this mean for the students who get the produce from it? Yeah, I, I, I agree that, um, the things you're doing at the garden and the things that um, we're doing at the pollinator commons um, see see immense overlap. Um, ultimately, it's true. What I mean, my only I have I have many hopes. <laughs> um, this isn't my only hope, <laughs> but one of my one of one of the things I like to see is that somebody takes away from spaces we've created the very thing that we've created and goes off with it. 
Um, and certainly if we can train someone to grow food, if we can train someone that planting flowers at their own home or convince their parents to do it or their aunts or uncles, their, um, then, we're, you know, our battle is being sort of, um, I hate to use war analogy, but let's just say um, our pollinators are healthier um, for it, right? And, and, and then our ecosystems are healthier for it. So, Chris, I know you have a particular interest in this topic, so why don't you share a little bit about your thoughts on higher ed's involvement in promoting food literacy through on-campus agriculture? Um, yeah, I mean, the model isn't unique, um, and um, somebody that um, isn't here that we could mention by name, Joshua Haringa, has done a really good job of sort of surveying um, who in higher ed in Minnesota is doing, in particular, sort of gardening, but but also has food shelves and is feeding their students. Um, and so, um, really, it's a place in which we ask students to become citizens of our society. And if you are going to be good citizens of society, and as St. Kate's wants you to do, lead an influence, um, Part of me thinks you can't do that unless you've been given some food liter some liter literacy, and of course, from a biologist perspective, perspective, the ecology that goes right along with that. Um, so I do think St. Kate's has a responsibility to do what we've just recently been doing, um, and I'm very proud that we've been able to do some of it. But I think there's even more we can do, um, and we we'll keep. I think we'll keep going, um, even though Marie is graduating. So am I. And Natalie, yeah, that's right. You guys, now what do we do? <laughs> that is a unique challenge faced by higher education is when you get the student leadership that is so involved and wants to, you know, accomplish so many great things, but then you have to cycle us out every few years and get new people to take yeah. the lead. Yeah. Well, luckily, um, as, as club leaders, um, Maria and Natalie, you've done um, some pretty good work of, of recruiting. I mean... It's always a challenge. Um, who's the new generation of students coming in and what, are, what is their interest in these things? Um, just looking at the way um, climate marches have been going, they've really been led by women recently, um, especially um, young women. Um, and there's been student strikes that have been led by women. So I think St. Kate's is positioned to do some important work with our student body um, that can really make a difference as students leave here, uh, but certainly we have to keep building it. It's not there yet. And there's other institutions around Minnesota that have, you know, varying degrees of what we're talking about that have really good models and some that are don't, not doing enough either. So um, hopefully we're in the right, we're heading in the right direction now. And it's frustrating, and I think every college faces what you talked about with having that student turnover every four years. But I think the interesting thing about that is with the turnover, you're seeing the changing interests of students and how that's evolving over time. So the students we had when I was a sophomore who were really interested in the community garden, and then I took on that mantle. And we've turned the community garden into a space that promotes food security through the food shelf. And then I'm looking forward to seeing the girls, or the women, and the students who come after me who take over that mantle from me and where their interests are going to push the community garden and where the bio club leaders of tomorrow are going to push the pollinator commons and the bees. 
it's so weird to just have seen how the ideas have evolved and changed even with the short time that you know I've been in leadership because I worked closely with the previous leaders on trying to establish that small plot of land and to see how it's snowballed, to see how it's taken on this greater part because the pollinator commons, you know, is so linked to the other parts of campus like the community garden and to see how it's it's grown so much even in that short time, it, it feel, I feel kind of powerful in a way. It's like, look, we're making change. Right. It's happening. We're doing it. I you, feel that too. Yeah, you, you too should. I mean, and, and everybody that's helped, right? I mean, this is really, it's true. You should feel very proud of what you've done. And so it, it is so cool to see that we are able to make this change even in the short time that we have here. And then it's it's good to know that you know, even as much as there is the student turnover, if there's, you know, administration or there are people like Chris who are on faculty who are supporting the students, you know, they'll be there even when we're gone to support these same ideas. So when someone is passionate about similar things, if there is support for those passionate students, those issues will be brought back up and brought to the forefront and enacted again, ideally. So even if there is a lull for a period of time where people don't, you know, want to focus so much on bees, that's fine. Because eventually, again, there will be someone that comes back and I is passionate. Wa- I, I don't want a lull. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I am aware of that. I do not either. But, you know, <coughs> um, as, as long as there are systems in place to support students who have... Yeah, and that's important. Is I call it institutional memory, where we have um, those of us that are around that um, carry these projects from student group to student group. And when I say student group, I mean so many years to so many years where yeah. graduates become first years and so on and so forth. Yeah, the cycle always continues. And Sam Kelly in the Center for Spirituality and Social Justice has a great way of saying this, and he keeps talking about how are we building this into the St. Kate's lore or the St. Kate's legacy? Right. How are we institutionalizing this, whether it be the community gardens or the pollinator commons or the food shelf, how are we making it so ingrained into student life that it's like the stories you hear when you're taking the tour of campus as a senior in high school and you're hearing about, oh, Mother Antonia built the chapel even though Bishop so-and-so didn't want it, and oh, this is why Fontbonne looks the way it does, and oh, by the way, we have this food shelf that students put together and they did this and this. And I think that's such an interesting way to think about the work we're doing as building St. Kate's lore and building the, into the legacy of our school. I've yeah. never thought of it that way, and that's I, I really like that. Me too. Yeah, you, the new history books will um, have your pictures. I mean, that's what I mean. Some of the, some of this, of course, is documenting what we've been doing. Um, without documentation, it's really hard to tell the story. I even got the number of years wrong that the bees have been here. <laughs> Marie, thank you for correcting me because literally the years can blend together, but they really need, but I want to go back to something Marie said, actually, um, that at times it felt like the work was, you know, not going to get anywhere. And here she sits and she's very proud of what she's done. And, and, you know, so you guys both should be, but there was like times when there were sustainability panels that had eight people show up. Right. And we're trying to push a message to the eight most interested people on campus. Um, there's different reasons why attendance is low at certain things. But to keep persevering, to keep trying to get the message out with tabling, with and creating popular things like the BioCub plant sale, 
that we can intermingle with the other projects that really can draw awareness through something people are really interested in visiting us about with the things we want to do and actions we want to take. So we've talked so much about what St. Kate's has done and what we're working on. So I guess what would you say to students and faculty members and community members from other schools or from other communities who are really passionate about this idea of food literacy and agriculture as the way to educate and empower? And they want to get started, but they have no idea how. I guess where would you say for them to start or what advice would you give them? So I don't think you can do it alone. Now, you guys as leaders of clubs have felt a lot of pressure in organization, um, and it, sometimes you probably have felt alone. Um, you know, but to get the club under you, to get a group of like-minded individuals um, to do the groundwork is going to be really important. So um, whether you feel like an organizer or not, some of the work is organizing, and then it's getting a message out, and then it's getting allies, and then it's um, actually getting into whatever it is you're doing. If you're building a community garden, you literally have to build it, right? And we literally built our garden. Literally built it, right? And so you can't, um, it's not just one thing. It's a matter of um, getting um, people around you to really want the same sort of things. And hopefully you're not asking for something out, out in left field. Like really community gardens aren't a left field idea, right? This is something people can get behind. But you, even we know when we built it or when we had, um, well, our, our turnout for welcoming the bees to campus was a pretty good turnout, but some of our community garden builds were lower, you know, and so you got to good, take the good and bad, but keep working towards it, especially if you feel really passionate about it. And passion's really, I think, at the heart of all, of everything that we're talking about. Um, I think one thing that I would touch on is I know when I want to do a project that I'm really passionate about I have this whole feeling of go big or go home if I can't do the big thing you know is it even is it even going to make an impact but I think it's important to remember that it's okay to start small and build because if you don't have the solid foundation you're not going to be able to get as far and so it is okay to start on smaller projects with the goal of in the future doing something big, but it's okay to do it with a little piece first and then just add a little bit more and a little bit more. And with the starting of, even if it's something small, if it is just, you know, building the single garden bed or building, you know, a small path that has no plants on it yet, making those first steps brings it all into focus, brings the community around together, around you, hopefully. Um, and so, even if you aren't yet to your dream goal of, ah, yes, the pollinator commons is complete. Everyone is sitting around having a great time. Oh, look, classes are coming to visit. Even if it is just like, ah, yes, we've got some plants and we have a path. Starting small is good and it's okay. You, you don't get to the end zone right away. I'm not good at sports, so that no. was a bad choice. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, <laughs> so, but... Sometimes it'll feel like you want to accomplish so much, and this is just from my personal experience. I want to accomplish so much. I want to have it all done now, and I want it to be... And so I, I feel bad about just doing this small thing, and I shouldn't because, you know, those small things add up, and they make an impact. Um, I mean, I, you touched on something so interesting and important. We had one bed, one community garden bed, and, and that could have been it. 
that like we didn't know when we built the one bed whether that was going to be the end of our community garden and grow things in one spot and and lu- and luckily because of students like Natalie students like you Marie um, interest prevailed and push prevailed um, and um, we we asked the community to continue to support the projects and we got. Um, Senate support. Um, we got other student club support, um, and so yeah, I, I think advi- in, an, in an advice question, I think it's true. You can't. You're not going to do it all at once. But perseverance, community building, ideas. Um, Joshua didn't coin this term, but he always said, um, "Okay, we could talk about this all day, but if we build it." They will come, you know. And that's you know. He's right. I mean, you got to have something, because otherwise we could just talk about it all day. Um, so totally. yeah, it's a lot easier for people to rally around something they can see than oh, something yeah. they can, you know, think about and dream about and talk about. But if there's a place where you're like, meet here, meet at the bed, then it's like, yep, people know. Yeah, people know where to go. Yep. They see it. Yeah. They feel it yep. in a way that is different than feeling passion, which is neither good nor bad, but it is what it is. And I love that ownership piece that you talked about. And we tried to promote that last year with the community garden. We had community members plant seeds and care for them and care for the seedlings in their own homes and then bring them back to the garden. And we planted them. And it was so cool to see people bring in. We had one student, I don't even remember her name, but she had just the biggest squash seedling. I and it was that. like. It was so impressive. I was just like, how did you do that? <laughs> it made me feel very bad about my sad <laughs> And it was cool because then later in the summer when I would see these students around campus, I'd be like, hey, have you seen your squash plant lately? Have you seen how awesome it looks? Or hey, if there's fruit on it now. Or I mean, my roommate grew the sunflower that was like seven feet tall and it bloomed in July. And that was such a cool moment. And I was like, a student did that. And I get to tell people, like, my friend grew that sunflower or my friend grew that squash. And right. Taking ownership of the garden as something that belongs to me and it belongs to you and it belongs to everyone. That's right. And so um, those squash plants were amazing. I'd go watch the bees pollinating them. And there's some pretty cool bees that end up visiting mm-hmm. squash plants. And then you took the squash at the end and did some, or maybe it wasn't squash, but you did some cooking things with um, the community that allowed them to see that once you grow it. So from seed to even eating it yeah. is where the full cycle went, which was so cool. And our bees intersected that, right? Our bees made sure that you would have squash to cook with or um, tomatoes to grow, to have salsa or, you know, yeah. pepper, you know. And so that full thing is really, I think, you're right, a blast. Um, and didn't President Roloff? Yeah, Bro. so the president of our university, President Roloff, and her office started a pepper seed for us, and they grew it into a little seedling, and we got it back, got into the garden, and it grew a green pepper, and that green pepper went to the food shelf, and I was able to put it into the hands of a student, an international student who took it home. It's perfect. And that was such an amazing moment. I had to email President Roloff afterwards and just be like, guess what you did? Yeah. Guess how this garden contributed to food security on our campus, and guess how you were part of that? And BioClub has always made sure that um, President Roloff um, receives a jar of honey 
so that she understands our projects, right? And mm-hmm. and um, at, while we're there and visiting, we um, do try to impress upon her the idea of this ecology that we've, we're talking about. So it's good for her, I think, to... I'm glad she came out there, and I'm glad BioClub visits her, and I'm, I'm hoping we can continue um, those relationships. And I think for people at other institutions, getting that buy-in from administration and getting the buy-in from people all over campus is so important when you're trying to grow a project, even if it's inviting them to your groundbreaking or you know, sending them a little jar of honey and saying, guess what we did? We wanted you to have this jar of honey. And even if they don't show up to the things they're invited to, continually just you know, showing them, them, hey, we're doing this. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, guess what your students are doing. Yeah. Well, Natalie, you did a great thing where when we had extra um, vegetables and we couldn't use them in the food shelf, you even went to offices saying, we grew this, do you have any use? Yeah, um, I walked think around was, all summer with my little tray of kale to all yeah, the offices. Yeah. So there's another way that we build, you know, sort of interest in community. So. Totally. Is there anything else about bees or ecology or anything that we didn't talk about that you guys want to talk about? Well, I was just thinking about how, um, upon reflection, that my interactions with the Food Justice Coalition have then reflected back on my educational experience. Um, you know, I, I'm coming from the biology perspective, and so it, it did take a little bit of time to, you know, connect the, you know, food justice with the ecology kind of perspective, but then once I did, it was really enriching to what I was learning, and it, you know, it made everything have a new depth and a new perception around talking about, you know, plants and talking about genetic modification and that kind of thing and then even you know going into writing a paper about food sovereignty and so just being exposed to these ideas has then impacted me and impacted the trajectory of my educational experience just by being exposed and I don't think without you know having you on campus promoting these things and you know other people that are doing it but because of the personal connection you know it makes an impact and so then you know I've been able to you know, impact my learning career because of it. And I think that's, it was really powerful and it felt very important. And I'm going to take these things that I've learned in college, you know, go into the real world or whatever people want to call it, you know, and hopefully be able to enact these. And so I thought I would share that. Wow. Sounds like you're talking about a liberal arts education. What? I was just thinking that. Um, Wow, you guys. That's, uh, I mean, and that's true. This is from where I sit, this is why I do what I do, because I want you guys to get these experiences and carry them out there um, and, you know, make the world a little bit, a little better place is what we're all trying to do, right? Um, should we do some plugs? Can Because BioClub is sitting here. Can we plug what we're about to do this spring? Sure. Um, come May, there's going to be our regular BioClub plant sale, and we hope to have information there about all these projects. Um, and hopefully even Food Justice could, as we get going, could do it. Um, but then we're going to plant the mushroom garden. Shortly yes, there so, are, so Oh, my God, I'm so excited. So <laughs> that's, and that will be on May 11th, and we already know that date because we had to set it with okay. the people that are doing the workshop. So that'll be a workshop, on, and we don't have times yet, but... That people should pay attention if they're interested in growing mushrooms. So you mean me? 
Um, well, I, I think there's more people on campus <laughs> than you interested oh, in mushrooms. To people that were getting a mushroom garden, and people are so intrigued. Yeah, I know. I know. This is a great addition to that community garden space. Um, and it just brings it to a whole other level. Mushrooms do all sorts of things that are way different Bring than other in food. Another part of the life cycle? You mean more ecology is involved in the garden? Yes, Marie, you are right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and. And then later in May, and unfortunately, this is after graduation, we will we will have that groundbreaking um, planting um, ceremony for the pollinator commons. Late May, we're going to um, get those plants in the ground. We have to make sure that they're going to be, you know, not frosted over and all sorts of things. So it has to be late May. So we will be advertising a planting day for that too. And then there will be community garden stuff, um, obviously. Um, so we'll have to see, um, people have to pay attention to dates. Thanks so much to Chris and Marie for coming in and talking to me all about bees and food literacy. I learned so much from our conversation and had a blast. I loved Chris's perspective on the role that higher ed can have in supporting students who are passionate about food literacy topics. And I especially loved Marie's advice about doing a little bit at a time, even if it doesn't feel like it matters. I hope any of my listeners out there who were passionate about food literacy were as excited to listen to what they had to say as I definitely was. This just about wraps up episode 4B of Feed That Nation. I have had such a blast working on this podcast and all the others I've done as part of my senior honors project, and I'm so, so excited for what the future has in store. Upcoming is a behind-the-scenes episode where I talk about the process of choosing a podcast for my senior honors project, the process of making that podcast, and what I learned along the way. Until then, my name is Natalie Nation, and you've been listening to Feed That Nation. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.